This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hello. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Uh, we are so excited to talk about cinematic audio and pushing boundaries in scripted fiction dramas. I have the best panelists, um, probably of the convention, and I'm only a little bit biased. So I will start by introducing them. Um, Naomi Shaw is the founder and CEO of Meet Cute, which creates original scripted romantic comedies. Meet Cute has made over 400 feel-good stories and works with a diverse community of over 1,400 creators. Adam Pincus, if you want to wave to the fans, is an award-winning creative executive who has worked across film, TV, and audio and is the founder of Best Case Studios, which produces nonfiction and scripted fiction in audio. Melissa Flores is a multimedia creator who has developed everywhere from TV to graphic novels. She is the new writer of the hit series Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for Boom Studios and is currently working on a new audio telenovela with Picture Start. And last but certainly not least is Zachary Grady, a playwright and podcast writer-director who most recently wrote and directed Gay Pride and Prejudice for Spotify and Gimlet and is currently working on a new fantasy audio drama with Picture Start. And I am your fearful, I mean a fearless moderator, Emmanuel Stoller. Uh, I head up audio for Picture Start, which is an independent media company founded by Eric Feig of Hunger Games, Twilight, and uh, Step Up Fame. We just had the Audience Award winner at Sundance, Cha Cha Real Smooth. We will soon have the movie Luckiest Girl Alive out. And we also adapt storied IP ranging from Greece to Borderlands to Rules of Civility. And our first podcast dropped yesterday called Reading the Stars with Anthony Boomba. All right. So thank you all so much. Now, Getting into the, uh, the meat of the matter, in narrative audio, we see a lot, of course, of crime stories, true con stories, thrillers, and horror. And while I would never knock those genres, I'm a huge fan. What I love about the panel here is that they've worked on things that feel really meaningfully different and are pushing the industry forward in new and compelling directions. And so, Naomi, I'd love to start with you. You've built an incredible community of talent with a really novel hypothesis around what works for your creators and what works for your audiences, that you can build short-form scripted rom-coms at scale for audio listenership. I loved your series, Green Mountain, which follows two black queer siblings who find themselves pursuing love interests in Vermont. I love the diversity of perspectives featured in the story and that it feels like a Hallmark movie if Hallmark movies were inclusive. <laughs> Sorry if anyone is from Hallmark here. <laughs> How did you achieve this? Is diversity part of your green light rubric or was this more serendipitous? I also love Green Mountain. Um, green Mountain came out in June of this year, so we wanted to have a series that celebrated both Pride and honored Juneteenth. Um, so our process from the beginning of, all the way from like an idea, through the final 
uh, audio incorporates diversity and representation. And the way that we do that is by asking why hasn't something like this been greenlit before? Like why haven't we seen these characters as main characters either in TV or film or in audio storytelling before? And we try and every single story that we create ask this question over and over again. So at Meet Cute, we have over 400 romantic comedies today and each one of them tries to pull out a diverse perspective from the writer, the voice actors, the producer and the directors, and the sound designers, people both on the, uh, in front of the mic, I was gonna say on screen, but in front of the mic, and people behind the scenes. Um, so it's very much baked into the business model of Meet Cute, and it's why we don't have a writer's room and one set of producers, directors, and sound engineers that we work with. Instead, for every audio show that we create, we try and push the boundary, to use the name of the, the panel, to find new creators that are perfect for that story specifically. So very much a part of um, the process and, and not an accident. And I'd love to talk a little bit about the business case of that, because I think sometimes in Hollywood you'll see pushback around diversity or you just get the one shot. How has leaning into diversity uh, helped you expand your audience? So our audience today is primarily Gen Z and millennial. So about 80% of our audience is female and about 85% of our audience sits between the ages of 18 and 35. And what we've heard from this audience specifically is that they don't want to see the, the stories that don't feature diverse characters or diverse perspectives. And diversity can mean so many different things from sexuality to socioeconomic status to geography. So there's no one definition that we're using. Um, and so it has really helped us in terms of people sharing our stories with other people. Uh, we've seen that in our download numbers when we do take creative risks. Uh, we've seen it in DMs where people say, wow, I really felt seen by this. We actually, for Green Mountain specifically, the artist that worked on the cover art, if you find the show in on your podcast players, um, is a longtime Meet Cute listener, and she's listened to like every story we've created, and she herself is a black queer artist. And so when, when she heard that we were creating the story, she wanted to be the artist working on, on the cover art for it. So we, just through both quantitative and qualitative metrics, we're seeing that people find an emotional connection when we kind of take those risks and do things that, that haven't been done before in, in audio. Incredible, thank you so much. Adam, I'd love to talk a little bit about Ghostwriter, uh, which is a phenomenal psychological thriller about a former journalist who reluctantly accepts a job ghostwriting a new murder mystery novel for an eccentric billionaire. What I love about it is the way you used immersive audio to create clues for the audience to track the bad guy and figure out what was going on without giving anything away before you were ready to do so. Can you talk about that project, what drew you to it, how it came to be, and of course the sound design? Yeah, I mean, to talk about where it came from, originally the, the writer is a playwright from New York named Alex Sobler, and she... Um, as a playwright, I think needed to have a side hustle at least, and so she worked as a ghostwriter. And she said, I, I found myself inhabiting the point of view of the people, mostly guys, that I was writing for, you know, successful businessmen and others, and thinking these people are monsters. And uh, 
you know, and yet I need to be their voice and I need to find a way to articulate as if I'm them. What if they really were even worse than I thought and, you know, the, the, the really monsters? And what if nobody believed me? And that was the premise, and we said that's you know that's such a great premise, mostly because, I mean, I love how personal it is to her, but I also, and it, it seemed like a great setup for a psychological thriller, um, but it also is so naturally in the audio world because everything's a conversation mostly between two people. It all happens because she happens to be a shut-in, and it all happens sort of from her apartment to the outside world. It's all phone calls and Zoom calls and, um, FaceTime and things like that, which felt very natural, and also given her writing as a playwright, very natural to her, because she knows how to stage a scene that has a contour to it um, that could take place, um, you know, really between two people in the course of a conversation. And that felt really natural for the medium. But to, you know, to go to the sound design piece of it, because it was, you know, on the, on the page, it's a very simple sort of Hitchcockian kind of story. Um, when we actually came to, you know, once we had the performances cut, which is how we put it together, we, you know, we directed the actors, we had a, a great theater director who was actually uh, close to Alex, which was a good collaborative relationship. We put the performances together and now we're gonna build the sound world. And what you realize is you can't listen to everything. Um, if you really sound design it like it's the real world, there's way too much information there and you're completely confused about what the point of view is. And point of view is a big piece of it. Um, I had a, a sound designer say, you know, who came from the world of film and television, in a, in a film, if somebody's stirring a cup of coffee and you don't hear the sound of the spoon on the side of the cup, you're wondering where it is. It's really noticeable that it's not there. And in an audio world where you don't have the picture, if you're hearing the sound of the spoon on the side of the cup, you're wondering what you're being told about the story, why it's important. And if it's not important, you don't want to hear it. So we, we really deliberately decided what the point of view in every scene was and realized that there's going to be a language to it, which is when, you're ta when she's talking to somebody who she's close to, who is living in the world with other people, and it's very dynamic, and there's a, almost a sense of like longing or envy that why am I not in the real world with these people that you know, I love and that I want to be with, you're only hearing the far side of the conversation. You're hearing the friends, you're hearing their office, you're hearing her agent's office, you're hearing the hustle bustle of the world. When she's talking to her client, and it's mostly about the kind of difference between them, the disparity in both power and also in their sort of position, um, you're always hearing her side of the conversation, her, the sound of her apartment, the sound of her street, and it's all very fraught. It's sirens and bottles crashing and people yelling. And it's a relatively subtle thing, I think, if you listen to it, it doesn't leap out at you, but it was a decision that we just had to make about what the, you know, what what is important and what is the perspective and why. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what the initial sort of thought around the reveal of the bad guy was as it pertains to sound and how that ended up changing once you were in the editing booth? Yeah, I mean, it's, this is a tiny bit interesting, only because you read something on the page and you're like, that's going to work great. And, and, you know, does it always? It doesn't always. So uh, there was something in the script that was really clever, which is she, this is a globetrotting rich guy, and he's always calling from, you know, some fantastic location, Milan, somewhere. He's always somewhere. And uh, he calls her, or she calls him in kind of a panic at the pivotal moment of the show, and he's like, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry to call you so late. He's like, oh, I'm in Tokyo. And then there's, in the script, there's a siren that goes by outside her window that she hears one beat later through the phone coming from him. And she realizes he's not in Tokyo, he's right outside. 
Now, a siren is a constant sound, and it's a very common sound, and it just didn't play at all. You didn't get the reveal whatsoever. You're like, I, I don't know, it's just noise in the background. You don't get that it's like this, it's not so identifiable and so unique that you would say like, oh, he's right outside. Mm -hmm. So we just realized in the, this is just experimentation in post, that we needed something that would really only happen once and that was very clearly like a sound signature and we realized it was like a car honk and a bottle crashing and somebody yelling something that you don't quite understand. And it happens on her side and then it happens filtered on his side and it's like just a far enough apart that you hear this crash, 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 beat, 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 crash, 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 and, it, and then it was very clear. And it was just like a, it was a, you know, it's just, I think in hindsight very obvious, but when we were putting it together, it was clear that what was on the page wasn't gonna work for the story and we just had to adapt. Now, one of the elements of kind of thinking about pushing past, uh, it, you know, the horror and the true con and the true crime that we've thought about at Picture Start as we put together our slate is what other genres can work for us, but also how do we bring in the propulsive elements of those genres that have kind of classically worked in narrative fiction into our shows? And so, Melissa, you are developing a telenovela with us. Um, I would love to hear how you have thought about putting together that plot that has a propulsive engine, even though it's outside of that horror uh, genre. Well, I think, um, like everything, it's, it's about the journey and it's about the protagonists, especially in telenovelas. If we're doing a telenovela-inspired podcast, you have to have that unnamed energy that happens that caused my mom to like kick me out of the room at seven o'clock because I wasn't allowed to touch the remote, you know, because it was her telenovela time and she can't get into her telenovela time. And when it comes to that, it, it becomes about the hero's journey and the protagonist. A telenovela has very specific tropes that you have to hit. And when it comes to audio narrative, I mean, what is it? There's a, that is a perfect medium for that kind of story because you want to follow a hero, a protagonist, you're literally in their shoes for the majority of the time because they're in your head and you're hearing everything they're saying and you're, you're thinking everything they're thinking because of the way that the sound mix designed and everything is done. So it felt like a perfect fit to be able to do something romantic and fun um, with those same stakes, because if you think about a telenovela and every element that comes to a telenovela, you have danger and you have suspense and thrillers, they just are told in a different way to elicit a different response. So, um, and we balance the romance with the suspense just as much, but the emotional pull is still the same. So all it does is it takes you from here to here, but hopefully still as satisfying. And I think it doesn't hurt that we do have a body in the first act. Yes, we absolutely do have a body. <laughs> Zachary, we are so fortunate to be developing with you on a fantasy project for Picture Start, um, but I'd love to ask you about Gay Pride and Prejudice. How do you root interest in a tough-to-love lead character? Oh, it is the question. Um, it, the protagonist in Gay Pride and Prejudice has anxiety and he is constantly kind of trying to control everything that's happening in the story. And it's funny, in early drafts, there was always this pushback of, is he likable? The big L question, um, do we root for him? Do we like him? And I think 
the first intention is always to try to soften the hard edges of that character, but I think that is a trap and that takes away the voice of the character and what we actually ultimately love about them. Um, I, I discovered using, I have like four characters that I can name who give us permission to groan or, or express like that he is annoying. They, they literally say to him like, oh my God, you're driving me crazy or like, you're so annoying or like, please, please stop calling me. Um, and I think it's once I found that that was the convention of those characters, there's, there's a great screenwriter, Victoria Sprouse, who talks about mirrors and windows. And she says like a mirror is, you look at the character and you're like, I understand what he's going through. I, I identify with him. I love him. And then a character comments on how annoying he is and you're like, thank God I'm not him and that's your window. There's a little bit of separation. Um, and he's our POV, like we never leave him in the show, so he gets grading, but I really found leaning into the characters that make fun of him, the funny thing is listeners' favorite characters are those four. They always say, oh, I love Charlotte, I love Mrs. B, because they are the hardest on him. So now I've got some rapid fire questions for Melissa and then Naomi. What is the right way to genre bend? I think the right way to genre bend is to take something that is recognizable that doesn't uh, throw the audience out of the story. Um, so you add just enough change to allow them to stay on the track with you. I love this question. Um, I think the right way to genre bend, I love that answer too. The, the thing that I was gonna call out is that every genre has something that people gravitate towards that genre for, but they're not like exclusively gonna just watch that genre. So you can kind of pull together the best parts of both genres and then have really, really strong characters and character progression that allows you to pull those elements together with that being the unifying force. So I think really strong protagonists um, and then pulling the best elements of like action and rom-com or fantasy and rom-com um, usually pays off really nicely. Now I want to talk about something really sexy. How do you make romance work when you can't see lingering glances? How do you build tension? And what should it sound like? And I'm going to start with you, Naomi. So. We talk about this a lot at Meet Cute, and dialogue is so, so, so important. Um, and then also, the lack of sound, I think, is really, really interesting to play with, where you have pauses at the right time to build tension, to like keep people at the edge of their seats waiting for what the next word is about to be, or even like the sound of a breath or something like that or a gasp or like a shuffle of feet for nervousness. There are so many really cool ways, especially with binaural audio that you can like throw sound in the room to build tension, even if the characters aren't saying something or that you're not seeing, um, you know, like clothes coming off or kissing or something like that. Um, but something that we have really tried to tap into is 
really, really witty banter and dialogue to build that tension because oftentimes it's not actually about the moment that the two characters end up together either physically or emotionally. It's about the buildup to that where they're fighting in an enemies to lovers trope or whether they're fake dating and they're just, you know, it's it's like all um, a ruse. So during those moments, like having really, really good chemistry between the characters and dialogue is something that builds really nicely towards those moments that you can't see visually. Zachary, same. It's all about breath for me. Um, if you read one of my scripts, I constantly have inhale and exhale written into the stage direction. And um, we actually in post started, we discovered this thing where if, you, if, if a, an actor just exhales during a take, it actually dissipates all of the tension. And so in moments of romance or moments of heightened anything, we started going in and like visually taking out the breaths in the waves, just cutting them out. And when, when people don't breathe in audio, it is so tense. I think it works in horror, it works in romance. Um, in all of the Darcy Bennett scenes where they come together, I was like crazy with my engineers about like pull out all of Bennett's breaths. And it, and it an, an exhale is so powerful, good or bad in audio. I think it, it, and that's really where I focus in the romance. Melissa? I feel it's unfair because those two answers were very, very good and there's not much <laughs> left to say. Um, what I would say, and beyond those two brilliant answers, is that for me it's also about the exchange of energies. Um, I remember we were developing the new Duena. We have a love triangle because it's a telenovela and you can't have a telenovela without a love triangle. But we were constantly working out what are the different energies between these three characters. What does uh, our protagonist get from one that she doesn't get from the other? What inspires her in this character versus the other character? And what that forces you to do is to take every scene with intention and go through every scene with the question of what do they want out of this scene and make sure that the dialogue, the acting, everything reflects that energy so that when you are done with that scene, it allows you to understand where these two characters, where the relationship is, and it should have changed in that scene and either progressed it or regressed it forward. And that is ultimately a romance. You're building toward the happy ever after, so you're going to try and make sure that every time you see an exchange between them, that energy changes just a little bit to get you to where you need to go. Retweet. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of world building, do we think it's easier to create an aural universe that's essentially true to life and grounded or something more science fiction fantasy? And Adam, I'm starting with you. Well, we've done a few different kinds of things. We've done um, things that are more in a fantasy realm and we've done things that are very grounded. Um, I don't know if there's a, if it's, easier one way or the other. I think you always want to come up with some kind of language that you can fall back on and make it feel real. Whether it's a creature that doesn't exist and could, you know, probably could never exist, but you have sort of a language for how that creature sounds and what 
you know, how they sound when they're close to you or when, you know, there's danger or when they're just lurking or when they're trying to be friendly. Creatures sometimes are friendly. Um, you know, I, I think it's about sort of having a, a sort of a, you know, a grammar for what that sounds like. And in the real world, I think it's very similar, you know, which is we have a way of treating this circumstance, you know, depending on what we want you to feel. I mean, I wanted to comment on something that both of you said, which I think is true not just of romance, but in other things, which is one of the brilliant things about audio is the ability to assemble a performance. Um, and you can get great performances from an actor and need to do none of this. But if you want to build a scene towards an intention and say, like, it's right here where she stops believing her, right? Or it's right here where she becomes concerned, her radar goes up. You can, or I want this to grow from desperate to threatening to, you know, angry or whatever the arc of the scene is, you can put together a performance literally line by line, sometimes half of a line by half of a line so that it really follows the intention that you want it to do uh, very deliberately. And the other thing I was gonna say is about silence, which I think is also really important. And this goes to kind of like whether it's fantasy or real life or, or whatever it is. We worked on something that was sort of a YA horror and a note we kept getting back was we want more jump scares. And I think of jump scares often as very visual ideas. You know, there's someone, like the scene in Hereditary where you suddenly realize that the mom is up in the ceiling. I mean, it's, sorry to ruin it for anyone, but um, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing visual. And it, you know, it's very unique filmmaking and it's totally visual idea. The, the, it, the darkness becomes less dark and you suddenly realize she's there. What I think we realized in post was that silence on the way towards something else is very powerful. And a jump scare could be that things get very quiet and all you hear is breath um, and then something happens and that can be just as effective. It, I, I'm not saying it's as simple as quiet and then loud, but it's, but it's in that territory. Zachary, same question. We're, we're going from your very grounded project to your fantasy project. How, how has world building been different in each? Um, I mean, I want to share quickly a, a thing from the Grounded show. It, it, it takes place a lot on phones. We really leaned into it just being on phones. And I actually think it might be a little harder because we recognize sounds so much in our day-to-day -day life that a little anecdote, we have a, a bunch of scenes that happen on Grindr, the gay dating app, and they, my main designers kept using the wrong sounds, and we could not online find the right sound. So me, as a gay man, was like, no, this is not accurate. And so I literally had to go on Grindr and have a conversation with somebody and record it. <laughs> and the person asked what I was doing, and I said, working. <laughs> and, and that was how we got all the real sounds, and then it had that texture of authenticity. Um, but I think it, you can get pulled out much easier in the real world because we know the sounds, but in transitioning to fantasy, um, it's really been, it, it's like a great container of, of thinking audio in um, magic realism because it forces you to, it, the choices of like, there are people who fly in this, and, and realizing how you, how you make fly happen in a scripted page was really hard, but then I figured out with wind sounds, and, and it, we, you, it is a challenge, but it's a great limiting challenge, and I think that the best, if you lean into it and you lean into the medium, that's where the best creativity comes, so I'm thrilled. I feel a little 
like uncaged from, you know, we get to make up what the rules are as opposed to spending an entire three hours being like, it's the wrong grinder bloop. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Melissa, I want to ask you this question too, especially because you're coming from a background of having built Power Rangers and now into a telenovela. What is that change like? Yeah, it's actually funny because I was talking, I was going to talk about the rules. I was going to talk about um, when you're building a fantasy world, it's actually not that different in that you're trying to construct a reality, whether it's grounded in what we know or not, that people um, will not question. I think when you, when you stop doing your job is when they get taken out of the story. When they're like, wait, that's the wrong color, or that shouldn't work, or why is something happening? And so you, you, to break the rules, you have to know what they are first. And so that's really important for both grounded and fantasy. But I think the main difference between them is that um, you actually have a lot more imagination with your, your, your at least when in terms of the media medium of podcasting, and, and I come from comic books, so it's kind of the same thing. In comic books, you have panels, and you ask the audience, the reader, to fill in between the panels, and you're doing the same in podcasting, but just audio-wise. So when you allow them, it's, it's almost what you don't put in versus what you do if that makes sense. You're allowing people to fill in the blanks for you. And as long as you create enough of a boundary that doesn't throw them out of the room, they're happy to stay in there with you. Thank you. Um, for Zachary and Adam, what do you wish you'd known as a writer or producer before going into the editing booth? Zachary. I mean, how much I was gonna cut. It's so liberating because, like, you over, I just, how much was overwritten? And it felt like, it feels like such a tight script. If you were to read it, it feels so tight on the page. Like you were saying earlier, you think things work. You think you need an explanation, but we're smarter. I think in audio, we, we should trust our audiences a little more. Like, we don't need the exposition. If the design is there and the character is there, we, I mean, chunks were cut. It's my, my pilot script was 25 pages. The pilot is 19 minutes. Um, and if you average a page to a minute, like we cut six pages of a very tight script. So cut, you're going to cut. <laughs> Adam? Yeah, you took my answer, actually. Okay. Uh, we, there was a lot of narration, I think, that the writer originally felt needed for exposition and for state of mind, really. It's YA, and they, they want to put you in the head of the, of the character. And so there's a tremendous amount of that. And when we did our rough cut, two things happened, actually. One was there's a prologue scene that absolutely fell flat. And uh, it's there to establish some backstory. And it was completely unnecessary. And we cut it down by three quarters or something. And we just cut most of it out. Yeah, there's a tiny little bit you need to introduce the character, you need to establish the scene. But the vast majority of it was just table setting, and it was completely unnecessary dramatically. And we cut 13 minutes out of uh, a 90 minute feature. Um, there was nine tenths of it was narration. Um, it was mostly just the character saying over and over again, you know, what was going on and how she felt and, what, you know, things like that, totally unnecessary. The other thing that I'll say, which was more of a, as a producer experience than anything else, is we work with a super talented uh, theater director and a very seasoned TV writer, 
and they talked a lot about what the sound design intention was going to be. And they're like, it's going to be very, very minimal. It's going to be like all you hear, if he's writing a note to Santa, you're going to hear the scratching of the pencil on the paper. And I love it. It's great. You have a very clear idea about what you're going to do. You get into post and you realize that's not at all going to work. The thing is just dead. It's just lying there and it's not alive in any way. It doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound intentional. It sounds empty. And so having spent a whole bunch of time in post having this very minimalistic approach, we then went back in and filled everything in, which was you know, twice as much work. S silence is confusing, I think, in Sometimes audio. It's, it, can it, it can be very confusing, yeah. How do you help audiences track a large cast? Naomi. This one is a really important um, part of creating any kind of ensemble show for us because you have to make the characters sound so distinct. And on paper, I think when you are writing it all out, you, you start to visualize what the characters look like and then you can keep them straight. In audio, you have to basically create the same thing. And I really like what Melissa said about letting people fill in the, the gaps. Um, because something that we've seen with ensemble, or like some of our ensemble shows where we have, we call that like anywhere between like four to eight characters is a larger cast. And then like kind of zero to four characters is our smaller, one to four characters is our smaller cast shows. Um, and so with the four to eight, or even like sometimes going up to 10 characters, uh, we are really, really intentional about the way that we cast those shows so that everyone sounds really different and also creating um, specific consistent things about the characters that keep coming back or recurring because consistency is so important to just give people something to hold on to and remember that character by. And that's how we can create stories like um, New Year's Eve or Valentine's Day in audio when there are like multiple couples that you're tracking. And something that people have DM'd us about or even written about in our reviews is that they will often fill in the character with people that they know in their lives that remind them of that character. So they are fully visualizing like their best friends as the best friend in the rom-com or their dad as the dad in the rom-com. And I think that really helps with audiences keeping characters straight when you get into the larger casts. Adam, I'd love to ask you the same question. Keeping track of a big cast, I mean, my answer is the same, which is you have to have some, you, you can't crowd the scenes. It's really hard to follow too many people. Um, I don't have much more to add than that. All I think right, it's hard Zachary. I have, I have a lot of opinions about this. I, I know you do. <laughs> and I love it, it's very exciting. Um, not to say they're rules, but they're what they're sort of my own Zachary Grady's rules. You don't have to go by them, but um, we had forty something characters in my show, and there's eleven protag like eleven protag eleven um, like main uh, characters, and I have the rule of no more than four in a scene, but realistically, no more than three. We have these massive party scenes where we stay with the protagonist, and he can talk to eleven people, but never more than two at once, and where I got really nerdy was in, if, if I have max four people, I think of it like a string quartet. And I think you have your, and it's a vocal range thing. I truly in casting think musically and you're, you're casting a string quartet. Um, 
if there's gonna be four people in a scene, you need someone who's the cello and you need a violin and, and, and if you have three people, same thing. It's, it's just the easiest shorthand um, to just not question who's talking. And an accent, if used specifically, we have a character that vanishes for four episodes and everyone was like, no one's gonna remember him. So we cast an Australian and no one questions when the Australian comes back. You just remember him from episode two. Um, musically, it's, it, just think musically like singing ranges, soprano, bass, it's, it's super helpful. That's really interesting. How do you make an ending satisfying, Melissa? Um, I mean, I think regardless of medium, it's, it's all about change in the protagonist. Um, it, isn't, it doesn't even have to be what the character wanted at the very beginning, so long as they got what they needed at the end. Um, I really think that's it. <laughs> Adam? Yeah, I mean, I think that's good writing. And I think that's, uh, that's something that you will always put pressure on when you're thinking about what is satisfying. You know, there is a natural tendency to want to leave the door open because you want the opportunity maybe to come back with characters that the audience loves. And so you want to find ways to have it be satisfying, but have it be just a tiny bit open-ended. Um, but we definitely, in working on scripts, I think that every one of them was a little bit different in terms of what the, how the end lands. And, I'd say in the overall making of it, so beyond the writing of it, there's also the way you use music and there's the way you even think about music going into the end credits and all these things that sort of feel like they're giving you some kind of emotional uplift. And uh, I'd say in every one of the projects, and they're all really different that we did um, recently, that same intention is there regardless of genre, which is this feeling of lift and sort of emotional satisfaction at the end, which is a lot of, a lot of factors coming into play at the same time, the writing being the most important, um, but everything else too. is this feeling of you, you kind of want to take off. Um, we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to know, are there any questions from the audience? Ooh, look, there are. <laughs> uh, let's start in the front row. Her question is, is there, is, sorry? Their question. Oh, sorry, their question. Sorry, I couldn't see it. Um, their question is, is there inherent value in cinematic audio, or can it be uncinematic? Zachary, you're I'm, nodding. I, I think some of the most fascinating scenes are two people talking, um, and it's quiet. I think we list, that's why we listen to chatter or podcasts, people talking. But then to go from that to a big club scene is compelling. So I think playing with the going back and forth can be really exciting. They're just as powerful. Adam, did you have a thought on this one too? Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit how you define cinematic on some level, because I think that sometimes cartoonish audio is helpful. I mean, it depends on the context. We went for very naturalistic audio. We went for in one project because that was the intention. We went for sort of much more cinematic feel in a, in a more of a genre-based project. But in the more sort of family-focused thing, I think that very recognizable boing sounds and things like that are, I don't think of those as cinematic, but they really work in a, in a certain context. They, they signal what you want people to feel about what you're doing. More hands in the hat.
Um, could, could you repeat it? What are the boundaries we've identified today that we're hoping to push through with future projects? I'm seeing a nod, Naomi. I think um, one of the boundaries that we've talked about a little bit on this panel is just featuring more voices and uh, characters that we traditionally haven't seen in storytelling. I think it just makes for richer stories when it's a completely different perspective or the same experience told through a different lens. And then also something that we're thinking about a lot at Meet Cute is playing with time in interesting ways in audio and trying to like take some of the concepts to like a slightly higher level with the way we think about time, whether it's like reversing it or splitting, like kind of having like parallel universes or having it speed up in a different way than you would expect. Um, so that's, some, that's a conversation happening where we're, you know, trying to figure out what are ways in audio that we can be really creative with time. More hands. Um, how about in the gray? I'm going to repeat the question before Adam responds. The, it was, what is set dressing in audio to fill in the world versus what needs to be there that's sort of a story marker, and how do you differentiate? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, it's definitely a feel thing. I think that there's texture. You know, we talked about filling in because something felt empty. Um, th that's really important. And, and you sort of have to find the right balance for that because I, I do find there have, I've definitely heard things where I feel like they're over sound designed, um, where there's some delight in sort of like this big cinematic world, you know, back to the question about cinematic audio, that just feels like more than the story really, more than you can take in on some basic level and, and therefore like too much not helpful. Um, versus things that you really need to advance the story. And I think, again, about Ghostwriter a little bit, that we used, and we had the incredible good fortune of getting the 1010 Winds guy to do the 1010 Winds radio, because it was a, it was a, a local radio um, announcer was part of the story. She's listening to the radio in her house, and periodically, it's important to story. Sometimes it's just there, and actually, you do want it to be there, because you don't want it to be like, the only time you ever hear the radio is when there's something important happening, right? Because that would be... That would throw you out. That would just be phony. So we had to have it kind of playing in the background. But you have to find this balance where it's like, don't pay attention to it. It's noise, right? It's just texture. And then when you need to pay attention to it, you have to play the leveling game where you're, where you're pushing the background down and bringing the radio forward without it feeling really obvious. So it's, it's a, you know, because in other words, you need to hear what the guy's saying. Um, but you don't want everybody to just immediately point to it and say, oh, I get it, now that's important. So it, it's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of the art, I guess, for want of another way to say it. It's, it's actually just execution. Oh, you've been such a wonderful audience. There's a countdown telling me we are two minutes over time in an angry red color. <laughs> so I want to thank you all so much for bringing your curiosity and your questions. And I really want to give a hand to our wonderful panelists today. Thank you.